Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier, and I'm excited to be back with the latest episode of the show. The uh, Let's Do Influencing show has, uh, it's kind of a newer show in a lot of ways. As you know, listeners, uh, we switched over from Conversations with Passion, which was the, the show for five years. And, uh, and we made that decision, which is never easy, uh, to make the switch over and focus even more on influencers who are out making the mark in the world, impacting lives, all those kind of things that we love to hear. And so today is no exception. Really excited to have a first-time guest with us today. So Toph Evans, really excited to have you here. And I think the best starting point might be to get you to tell us a little bit about your journey or your backstory uh, so that we can uh, help our listeners learn more about the work you do. Sure, dude. First of all, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And two different parts of the world have somehow united in regards to this. So for me, my journey comes back down to years ago when I was traveling, believe it or not. Um, I was struggling with a few things, but I was masking as a person to cope with it through many, many coping mechanisms. So I, I was going through, this was my real taste. This is my real first taste in adversity. That's just going one after another, after another, um, where things are just constantly failing on me, where um, a business was failing on me. I had relationships that were failing on me. Um, it just seemed like nothing was really working. And a kid that relatively liked a party back then was starting to abuse the substances between alcohol and between drugs. And it just, I wasn't happy with the person I'd become in. So, and I would try and compare myself to other people. My God, that is like a cancer. If anyone's listening, do not compare yourself to anyone. <laughs> um, it was putting these weird, stupid expectations on myself and I'm not talking unrealistic. It was going because I'm going off other people's expectations. And because I wasn't happy with the person I wanted to be, I was constantly not sober. And it got to a point where it really was affecting my mental health and my physical health and every sort of health that emotionally with anxiety and depression, it was getting worse and worse. And it got to the point where my self-worth was so gone and, I just wanted to end it all. So I tried to OD and it, this was, this was never easy for me to open up about, but I flipped the switch by going, I wonder if this can impact anyone that's going through something similar. That's why I don't mind talking about this stuff. But from there, that's when I was probably the loneliest point in my life. And because I was traveling, believe it or not, I was in Toronto. So I was in Canada and I, this is a city I'd never been to before. So feeling alone in the city had just magnified even more when I was going through this dismal state, you could say. Um, I came home because I, I really needed to be back into a space I felt safe around. So back home with mum and dad. And dude, I things are just feels kind of, they feel all right, but I'm still medicating who I was as a person. And I needed to talk to people or else I may have gone through with the suicide and not to sound morbid or anything. It's just the, the point in my life that I was at. So I started to talk to friends of mine, but I, I was still scared to talk to guys, like even my closest friends. So I started talking to girls, believe it or not, because you put a bunch of ladies together, they're going to be just vent out and they're just going to talk everything on their mind. When I say girls, I mean like older women that 
I, I felt I felt really safe for him. Anyway, one thing led to another, and I started to declutter everything that I needed to figure out why I wasn't happy and how I can fix it. And it came down to prior, prioritizing my health as number one, and everything else can wait. So for me, one thing led to another, and I started taking up running. And the funny thing was, I hated running at school, um, but I learned to control that little person in my mind through that. And somehow I've learned to adopt that to life's adversity and tying how somehow tying in endurance uh, with charity or endurance and just life in general. And it's managed to make me so much more stronger as a person that at the end of the day, I'm actually grateful to go through all that pain years ago. Um, he, everyone's gone through a different rock bottom. Everyone goes through different adversities. You, you, me, everyone else that's listening, it's, um, it's good to understand that. And for me, it's kind of like, all right, who can I help now? Cause I know what it feels like to go through all that pain, especially with mental health. Uh, and you come out from an altruistic point of view now of going, I don't want anyone else to go through the same, same pain I went through. How, what can I do to help you so we can bridge the gap? So that's essentially my story really condensed. <laughs> no, I, I love that. And, and I mean, I love that you shared it and, or that, you know, humble and vulnerable to share it in, in the realest way. So I guess then, you know, when you talked about, you know, the struggle, that, uh, that you had with that and, and the struggle you had with trying to find, let's say, a purpose in life. What, yeah. um, you know, I guess for, from, you know, from your point of view at that point, Tov, what sort of um, drove you to running? Like, in other words, did you, did you already had this sort of infinity to running? Did you know that running existed for you as an option? Like, was there something that, you know, you could have saw if you looked deeper into the hole that running was one of those options for you or was it a happy accident? Uh, definitely happy accident. And it, I don't know if this is like serendipitous moment, but there's a book right next to me called born to run. And that's, that's the best 20 bucks I've ever spent. And what happened was I took up running. I'm just thinking right now, cause I've got to backtrack a bit. I took up running, like I said, because I needed to focus on my health and for some reason, health equals sport. And I couldn't never do ball sports at school because my hand-eye coordination was horrendous. So for me, it was kind of this conclusion, like I need to be around people. I feel like the running community is a pretty strong one. And all I need is just get a decent pair of shoes and I don't need to focus on too much. So I started running and it, it kind of felt great to the point where I go, this isn't really challenging me. What can I do today? I think I should sign up for a marathon. That kind of one thing led to another, to another, to I read this book, Born to Run that a friend said, have you tried reading this? Anyway, I started reading it and this is what grew my curiosity. Right. I think where this whole do what you love, I think it should be do what you're curious about. And then before you know, those things that you're curious about are things that you love. So for me, running is something that's definitely a part of part of life for me. It's a way of life and understanding that, you know, I'm not the fastest runner in the world. I'm not the, probably the best, like my running style, I probably, I think I've been told to look like a girl when I run. Anyway, I flipped the switch by going, I wonder if I can help people with this, right? So I used it to raise funds and awareness for specific charities. And I still am doing these crazy events that one thing always leads to another. And I'm sure you're, you've come to a point in your life as well, man, where you go, 
how did I get here? <laughs> Honestly, how did I get here? And it was because of that. Yes. You said ages down the track that became a yes and a yes and a yes. And you always hear like Tim Ferriss go, um, learn to say no more often. I think you get to a point when you can say that, but I think when you, to kick things off, you need to start saying yes, because that will learn to get you to embrace discomfort and seek it and embrace it. And for me, that's what it was doing. So the first was signing up for a marathon and then a couple for a couple of years, a friend and I, we, we teamed up as an endurance duo and one thing led to another where we're doing, we, we thought we'd do a cool little charity project where we'll do one event a month and we'll raise a bit of funds and we'll try and raise awareness for cancer research. We've lost family to cancer, like 13, like one event, yeah, 13 events turned into 40, right? We just kept saying yes to so much stuff that it was probably the, the greatest year of my life. Like, dude, when it got to the point where we're doing, now we're doing marathons to like 63, like 100 miles or and 100 kilometers and 100 miles. I was going to say 63 because 63 miles is 100K, but I realize you're Canadian that uses a metric, so it's, it's all good. Um and then we're doing 24 hours and treadmills and things like that. And you learn so much by being in such discomfort. Like, dude, the biggest aha moment I've ever had in life was being on this treadmill for 24 hours when people were finding out about what we're doing and they're driving all over the state to see this and to say thank you. And for me, it's like, I'm actually grateful to go through all the pain that I went through years ago to, it was like a massive penny drop moment out of body out of body experience to go holy shit i'm actually grateful to go through all that to put myself into a right mindset to make an impact on someone else i think i should double down on this so i have <laughs> essentially I, I i love that and you know something you mentioned there about um i guess we'll call it those uh you know those well you mentioned i guess tim ferris i'll go that direction first about him you know talking about saying no and the importance of saying no and i will say that you know what i've done which i think is similar to what tim's done you know when he talks about for example the tools of titans um yep. i've interviewed now we've reached over this five thousand mark you know five thousand personal interviews and so one of the wow. things we talk about it's unreal yeah it's it's pretty crazy i and most people are blown away uh, so much so i'm one of them <laughs> uh, I'll put it in perspective of this is this is where at least it always you know told me okay well this is a big number now is uh, I was inter being interviewed by John Lee Dumas uh, so entrepreneur on fire most of yep. our listeners know who John is and, mm -hmm. and and this is something he said I could use uh, publicly meaning the the, the the audio of him saying this but he said uh, you know Corey I have to say and it was on a public interview anyway but I have to say that you're one of the only people that well, actually sorry, I'll correct that he said you're the only person I've ever had in the show who's interviewed more interviewed more people than me. And when you think yeah. about John doing a daily episode for over five years, uh, and he said, and I will catch you. Um, so yeah, so any, any, I have no doubt you will. But uh, saying that it is, it is a big number. But interestingly, what I, one of the top traits that I've learned, you know, so I share what are the common habits or traits, and it is the power of saying no, I actually call it the power of no. And when I describe it, I say that the highest of achievers have figured out the importance of saying no, to all the things that won't move the needle so that they can say yes to the few things that will. Mm -hmm. Now, said all that, I'm gonna add a caveat to that. So this goes back to, to validate what you just said or back up what you just said from my own perspective too. It's that for me, those no's, I couldn't say those no's uh, at first, and I couldn't say those no's certainly until after saying a heck of a lot of yeses to a lot of things. And what yeah. it makes me think of is, 
I, I was listening to this, this uh, speaking audio program one time, and I don't know why this always stuck with me, but one of the guys in the program said, you know, when you start out as a speaker, you'll go and uh, speak. Uh, if somebody offers you 50 bucks on the side of the road, <laughs> you'll sit there and speak to them. And, you know, after you get going, you'll turn down a talk that's maybe $2,000. And then you'll have to turn down a talk that's $4,000. And I think it's the same type of thing. Like when you first start, yeah. If somebody's willing to give you an opportunity to get your message out to somebody or to do your great work, then you're going to take that opportunity and say yes a lot. And so I, I'm glad you brought that up, Tof, because I'm, you know, I'm guilty on the show of saying that, uh, you know, the importance of saying no cannot be overstated. But at the same time, when you're early on, I think, and it, I think it's important for people to realize that you can't say no to everything if you haven't, for lack of a better way of saying it, earned sort of the right to say no by putting in the, the sweat hours to get to that stage. That's it, man. And you got to do what you can do at the start. Sometimes you got to take on everything because you, you don't have that stability just yet. So I think Tim, Tim talks about that because he's at a point where he can say no. And I think when you can get to a point and you say no, that's a good problem to have because you don't really have to market as much, right? Because you're getting seeked so much but i think in the start of especially when you're in the slump or when you don't know what you're doing um when you have no idea and you go i, I haven't really done much of my life that's okay like everyone was kind of at that point say do go scatterbrain do a lot of things and obviously you you find out more about yourself when you're in these moments so i'm i'm glad i was saying yes i'm at a point where sometimes i have to say to no to things and first of all man i'm so grateful that you said yes to this because <laughs> um but yeah it gets to a point where you you got to build that confidence and you need to so you can get used to saying yes and but it it does get to a point where you can start saying no absolutely and so you know if i dive a bit further into uh, your journey you know from that point into at least where you are today because obviously it'll change mm -hmm. uh but I, you know i guess the other thing i'm curious about you know, when you talked about that sort of lowest point that you hit, I'm yep. sure people ask you a lot about that now. I mean, I think that resonates with people who've also hit a low. And, and we know a lot of people struggle throughout their lives or over the years, you know, people each, I think almost everybody hits that struggle point at some point. And so when you're talking to people now and they ask you what kind of advice you would give them, if they're struggling, I mean, obviously for you, you know, running might be one of the things that was sort of the passion and purpose for you. For them, it might be something else. But obviously there's, a, there's something you've probably learned that applies to all of us. So what do you tell people when they say, hey, you know, I'm in a funk. What do you suggest? Yeah, sure. So I always, this took me a long time to kind of really figure out. And this, I figured this out when the penny dropped. Um, I'm going to go back to this real deep point in my life when I tried to OD and it's, this is, this is weird juxtaposition dichotomy that you come across and you go, this is meant to be, but this is not how I'm meant to go. If that makes sense. Yeah. And it wasn't until I realized that everyone I had looked up to, I'm talking like the books I've read, the, um, like the autobiographies or the biographies, even memoirs, those people came from a trajectory of pain and it's like, holy shit, maybe this is actually part of the process. So, and it, it, that's very reassuring when you are going through some sort of pain. Um, now emotional pain is a lot more than physical pain. Um, but it's, it does for me, it was like, that was very reassuring. And 
it was understanding. I, I look up to these people, but I can't compare myself. And that's another thing. Like sometimes we're too busy. When I say we, I mean like society has with what social media has done. I love social media. It's, it's how you look at things. It's a double edged sword where people like you and I, we, we connected online. Like we met online to connect offline pretty much. This is the most offline we can do because we're on the other sides of the world. However, when people are like, I want to be where that person's at and this person's at, you got to realize they went through their struggles too. So it's under, it's realizing, oh my God, the adversity that I've been through is going through an egocentric paradigm. I think I have it worse than everyone else. And it's understanding that everyone in life goes through stress. You bro, you've gone through stress. Like you, you've got, you've got children now. Um, myself, it's like when you start in this business, everyone is going through some sort of struggle and it's understanding that you aren't the only person. So that's, that's very reassuring. And it's, uh, and for me, like what really does, yes, the running definitely does it because it helps me mentally, not like a forest gum kind of thing, but like, I, I know that I can control that little person in my head where that little person says, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. It's like, yeah, go watch me. And it's proving that to myself. So I'm doing it for my own personal reasons, but having a very strong gratitude practice, like gratitude is the fastest way to change your definition of reality. And if anyone that's listening and they want a little cool activity to do, write down a hundred things you're grateful for. Literally like write down a hundred things and you're going to get to number 40 and you'll be like, uh, I've ran out of things. No, there's so many, there's thousands of things you can write down. Dude, it gets to the point. I did this and like number 96 I wrote down, I'm grateful that my coffee cup has a, has a handle so I don't burn myself. <laughs> it's just things like that, right? You, you're grateful that your car doesn't have, even though your car doesn't have aircon, you're grateful that it can get you from A to B. Um, it's for me, like that's exactly what's happened to me. I, I'm always reinvesting my, my money and back to my business. I'm always wearing black t-shirts on purpose so that no one sees the sweat stains. And I'll like, I'll say like, I'll have the humility to say that. So it's, that very strong gratitude practice makes you realize what you have instead of what you're missing. And if you're focusing on what you're missing, you're going to be constantly chasing your tail. Um, and that it comes back to the fundamentals in life, man. It's those the food, shelter, water, family. Well, when I say family, I mean your close loved ones. That's the really, that's the things that we should really be focusing on. And just like focusing on human, human beings, as opposed to caring about what material items we have, like that can be a cool driver. But at the end of the day, like no one's going to remember you for what car you have. They're going to remember for the impact you brought and how you inspired them. So that's something that I've learned from this practice. If anyone's listening, it's, you know what, whatever adversity you're going through right now, it's going to make you so much more stronger as a person that you've may have heard of the story dude with Tony Robbins, where he interviewed someone in a jail cell, right? This guy was on death row murderer. Um, he interviewed this guy. And this dude was talking about how his dad used to beat him up. Right. And he said, used to beat him up as a kid. And he said, look what I've turned into. What do you expect? Anyway, not, not so long after he, he, Tony Robbins interviewed this very wealthy businessman. And the businessman was talking about how he got beat up by a kid as a kid by his dad. And he said, I didn't let that get to me. And what would you expect? Anyway, he's very successful. Anyway, it turns out that the, the the guy in jail and the wealthy businessmen are brothers to the same dad. So it's, it's how you deal with the adversity. I know people that are um, good friends of mine that are amputees, right? Missing arms, missing legs and never seen them complain, which is like, Oh my God, how the hell do they still have a smile? 
And I asked him this weird, profound question. Sometimes I'm trying not to disrespect him. It's like, are you, would, if you could go back in time and prevent that from happening, so you got all limbs, would you? And they're like, you know what? I've got so much opportunity out of this that I, I actually wouldn't go back and turn anything around. So that's so, for me, that's so reassuring to hear that even someone that's at that lost point in life where you've lost, you, you truly understand the value of something when it's taken away from you. So someone to even lose like their limbs and to be like, I've created so much opportunity from this is unreal. So I think we can learn even a lot from that. You know, what's wild about that, Toph, is that we've had, I mean, I'm just throwing a number out because I'd have to go back and look, but I would say at least five people who I'm going to say are highly successful on the show. And, you know, so one I'm thinking of is um, Mark, Mark Joffney, who Mm -hmm. was born with no arms. Uh, he now has a band called Big Toe Rocks because he plays, uh, he came up with the name because he, of course, plays the guitar and bass with his toes. That's um, amazing. <laughs> his story. That, that title. I know. It's, I love it. And his website, I think, is bigtoerocks.com. Um, yeah, that's cool. Mark. But, I mean, I, I got, I've had chances to meet Mark and, and we've had him on the show. And he's worked with Habitat for Humanity. He's, um, you know, plays gigs all across North America. And yeah, respect. He, he, drive, he drives his car uh, you know, all over the place. And it's like an older car. So it's not even equipped uh, any different than, you know, a car to, for him to be able to drive. It's, it's insane that, you know, when I went to visit him, he, I got, actually I'm wearing, okay, this is no joke. I'm wearing this serendipity. Talk about that. I'm wearing this shirt of his band right now. It's a green and black muscle shirt. Maybe I'll post this on Facebook later today, just to prove in this interview, I'm wearing this shirt right now. And, um, I got it from Mark and it was for my girlfriend when I got it. And, um, mm-hmm. And we both kind of take turns wearing it, I guess. But anyway, he, he said, I'll go grab it for you. And I got talking to somebody else. And, and I turned around a couple minutes later. And Mark's got the trunk open. And he's got the shirt out. And he's signing it and everything else. And like I say, born with no arms. And, but the thing about him is never complains. He, uh, he actually um, got a Super Bowl commercial that he was nominated for an Emmy for because uh, they needed somebody that could tie a diaper, a baby's diaper, put on a baby's diaper with their feet because the premise was that, um, that you'd be so excited about the new Super Bowl that you'd be, you know, typing on the website, the new Super Bowl website or whatever NFL website that you'd be so excited. You'd be typing up top, but down below changing the baby's diaper. So of course they gotcha. needed somebody who could do that with their feet. And they had something like a hundred and some people claimed they could. And by the end of it, it was only Mark and a female that could. And then they wanted a male's foot, of course, or feet because of the NFL, just based on the nature of their viewers. And mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so Mark, you know, could do that. So I said, well, how did, how did you learn to do that? Did you practice it before the, um, before the commercial? And he said, no, he said, when we had our first, or we had our two children, my wife kind of would just basically push them over and say, your turn, Mark. And so it was actually from changing his baby's diapers. You know, never, mm. never saying, well, why am I doing that? I don't have any arms. And he told me the story about how his father, when he was growing up, uh, saw him watching the cartoons one day and all his other brothers were doing their chores. And Mark's, I think, chore, well, his father thought he should be raking the leaves. So he went out, his father, and, and tried to rake the leaves with his feet. He came back in and got Mark to look at him. He said, look at that pile of leaves. And Mark said, that's pitiful looking. He said, yeah, but it's a pile of leaves. And I was able to do it with my feet, even though I don't have the kind of skill that you have with your feet. What are you doing watching the Smurfs or whatever the cartoon was? Get out there and, and do, do your chores. And Mark said that was one of the defining moments in his life. And it also backs up, he had, I think, eight brothers and sisters. And that backs up, you know, why he had so much success is because his parents said, you can be as good as anybody else. 
And I yeah. can tell you the history of all the people we've had on the show that were born without arms or Patrick Henry Hughes born without his eyes. We actually literally born without eyes. He can't bend his legs and arms fully. And his track record of milestones would blow your mind. I mean, he's been on the Grand Old Opry. He's open for Lone Star. He's been on Ellen. He's, um, he's played, uh, he's played uh, at major concerts. He graduated from Louisville School with uh, honors. He's a motivational speaker. He has best-selling books out. I mean, it's just crazy. And same idea. Yeah, respect. Well, and I'll, I'll tell you this one other quick thing, Toph, and then I'll, we'll jump right back. But this was kind of, I think, backs it up too, is in terms of mindset. When I asked similar to when you said, I didn't want to insult uh, Patrick, but I wanted to know this. And I said, you know, do you find that being born with a disability, do you find that that uh, had a negative sort of toll on your life? Mm. And he said, disability, he said, I'll stop you right there, Corey. He said, I didn't have a disability. I was born with an ability. And I said, and I took me back and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, people that were born with eyesight, they get the, uh, I guess, the privilege of judging people by the color of their skin, their race, how much money they look to have, what they look like. I don't have that luxury. So he said, I can only judge the person inside. And I think that's a true ability. Oh, that's powerful. That gave me goosebumps. Yeah, I was just going to say the day he said it in the interview, I get goosebumps. So I didn't mean to go on that much of a tangent. Uh, Tolf, but no, I mean, no, no. It's but, conceptual. It's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's all about your mindset and perspective. And two quick things, something you said there about, um, you know, be grateful for what you have. There's a great quote. I don't know if you've heard it before, but it's, I don't know why it keeps coming back to me all the time these days. But basically, the quote says something along the lines of whatever you're searching for or looking for or wanting for, be enough without it first. Hmm. And I think what goes to your point about the 100 gratitude list, you know, by the time you're getting to the top of that list, you're realizing yeah. that you already have more than so many people in the world. And oh, so that, that's a good delayed gratification kind of technique, isn't it? Like for me, I, once I lost my mental health and I got it back, it, it felt so much better because like you understand the value of something when it's taken away from you. So it's that kind of thing where you're preparing yourself like, in my keynote, I usually talk about the marshmallow test, right? Because it comes back to discipline for me and discipline doesn't mean, um, since I have this negative connotation, I'm talking about discipline, like self-control. And there's this amazing, uh, university study that happened at Stanford back in the sixties. And it's still a thing today where this, uh, his name was Walter Mitchell and he wanted to study delayed instant and delayed gratification for your old children. So he would get these kids to come in one at a time and he would put a plate at a plate and you put a marshmallow in front of him and he would say, I'm going to leave the room for 10 minutes and come back. And if the marshmallow is still there, you can get two. And like some kids would take it. Some kids would lick it because they wanted to see what it tastes like. Some kids would just eat it straight away. Anyway, he found that was a correlation that the kids, like he kept up with these kids for like another 30 years. Unreal. And he found out like the kids that had strong willpower at age four, had a very strong discipline in they had better relationships. They wouldn't succumb to hard drugs and alcohol, all this kind of stuff. And I think it's definitely something that we can develop because for me, I lost that willpower and now I know what it feels like to regain it because you look at the bigger picture, you look at the bigger picture and if you've got a very strong purpose, then that's going to just naturally tie in towards. And it's when you come back to the people um, like the, the gentleman that has no arms, he would have a very strong discipline practice because it, it's a little bit harder. Like, you know what it's like, man, to move your toes compared to your fingers. Things aren't easily, uh, easily grabbable, you could say. So for him, a lot of patience involved with that. So he's probably like, 
a lot more chilled and laid back to a lot of people because he's like, if I can do this, I can do anything now. And you know, so true. And to that point, I mean, I've been a guitarist slash musician slash singer songwriter for 16 years now. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a, um, superstar guitarist. I'm not a slash, you know, from Guns N' Roses. I, and I don't play lead, I play rhythm, but, but I'm a decent player. And when I say that, the thing that for, is interesting to me is when I watch Mark play, I'm like, dude, I, you know, I can't, I can only, I mean, I don't even know if I can play as good as him with my hands, but I, if I can, I can only play as good as, as you with my hands. I could, in my own mind, I'm like, I can't imagine having to learn with your feet. I mean, it took me two years to start playing full songs. So what yes. kind of willpower does it take to learn in a much harder way, like you say, your, your feet aren't, we're not used to using our feet in those capacities. It just blows my mind. Oh, the cramp. That's the first thing I'm thinking of. It's like when you're trying to like bend your feet forward, like closer towards you, it's like cramp, cramp. All right, got to start again. Uh, <laughs> that's the first thing I'm thinking of. So Toph, uh, I want to, I want to, you know, go move to our, towards our, um, I'm going to call them our common three questions shortly. But before mm-hmm. I go there, uh, one thing I wanted to touch on that you said as well, and then, you know, I wanted to maybe give a little bit of an overview for our listeners, and they can go to your website to see this, but some of the things that you've, uh, some of the adventures that you've had, I mean, just to kind of blow somebody's mind, but I want to ask a question fo- followed up to that. Like, I want to ask you a question about that. Uh, yes, but yes. before I go there, something you mentioned too, and I think it's, I try to mention this as much as I can these days, and it's really good when a guest mentions it as well, so people don't think it's just me <laughs> harping on about it, but you mentioned, um, the idea that that worst thing that happened to you could turn out to be the best thing that happened to you. Mm-hmm. And every time I think of that these days, I think of Steve Jobs. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard, seen his talk, his Stanford commencement address about joining up your dots. Have you seen that? I have. I have. It's a great talk. And that, and so that's the premise for those that haven't seen it. I mean, and this is very, you know, loosely based explanation of it, but basically the idea is if you go back in your life, you can probably see what he called the dots those points in your life that were probably most responsible for the other parts of your life that you're maybe that are your biggest successes, let's say. And a lot of times, this is the part I'm adding in. A lot of times those points were some of your lowest lows, you know, they Mm. built around some of the worst scenarios that you had. Like for me, I barely passed high school. I got a 49 plus one from a teacher, which meant that I didn't technically graduate. He gave me the plus one to graduate. And that, still to this day is such a big catalyst for so many things that I do. And I realized now that that was one of those dots, him basically telling me you didn't earn the graduation. I gave it to you was a massive dot for me. And so to your point, um, how great would it be if we could know sooner in life that this one decision we made isn't going to be the end of everything. And you know, I, my uh, latest TEDx talk is about what would you tell your younger self? And one of the most mm. common answers that I've learned in all asking that question, and I'm going to ask you that question, by the way, as a heads up, uh, but asking that question, <laughs> about what would you tell your younger self, um, the most common answers I get are along the lines of, it's not the end of the world. Don't worry about making the wrong decision because you need to make that decision to get where you are. Don't change a thing. They're those kind of answers. So to your point, I think we need to realize that those things that we wish didn't happen or those things that we think are the end of the world now typically end up being some of the biggest catalysts for us having the things that we have later on in life. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's something that people overlook regularly. Oh, I agree. I, I think I would tell myself to just relax more, right? We... Because when we think negative, we almost think worst case scenario. It's not until that we, we take a step back and we're like, 
Really? And it's because, dude, isn't it fascinating that since the first person to where we are now, we are so technologically advanced that we can have this conversation and it's crystal clear. Sounds really great. 39 years ago, they sent Apollo five up into space. Like this technology we have on our phones and that is, and even our computers are, are much more advanced than Apollo five and all the technology back then. However, the way we think and how we control fear is, has only changed a slight fraction. Yes, we have a little bit more awareness and intelligence around it, but it still is what's driving us. Like we don't have lions and tigers eating us, but it feels like when a family or friend betrays us, it feels the exact same kind of thing. So it's good to understand as well. I think psychology should be like a mandatory subject, but um, it's, yeah, it's kind of that thing when we're going through whatever we're going through right now, it's almost so egocentric and it's exact same thing. I, I remember seeing like Oprah do a talk about this and she's like, relax. Like that's what I'd tell myself, relax. And it's like, she has a really good point. Um, so that is something I, what I would definitely tell myself because, and it's just constantly being a reminder. Even if I have like something taped to the, the ceiling of my room, just someone wake up, it just says relax. <laughs> no, I don't mean like go on vacation. I mean like, don't stress so much around the small stuff. And, and I, yeah, I love that. And, and so your, your answer very much echoes what I found a lot of people would tell themselves, which I think is, I mean, when we hear those kind of things and know it's a common answer, I think that tells us we're onto something, you know, that's something we should be paying attention to. If most people would say relax more then maybe mm-hmm. we'll be relaxing more. And, and so Tov, thank you. Cause you, you've answered one of my questions in advance, uh, which makes it easier. Uh, and I, I might still circle back to that, but um, one other, one quote I wanted to share before I ask you about uh, some of these milestones I mentioned, but, uh, and, and it made me think of this as well as we were talking, because I'm like, as we're talking about this, and I mentioned join up dots, and you know, you were mentioned relax, and I mentioned maybe not having as many regrets and all that kind of stuff. Then I said, you know what, how weird is this? Just yesterday, so not even, well, actually, sorry, I'll correct that, two days ago, I guess, uh, but so not even like a month ago or anything, I just posted this quote by William Shatner that, mm-hmm. that regret is the worst human emotion. If you took another road, you may have fallen off a cliff. I'm, in t- I'm content. And so, and I, I say cliff, but cliff I meant. But if you took another road, you, may, you might have fallen off a cliff. I'm mm-hmm. content. And so think about that, right? Like, it's, it's the worst emotion because if you think about the fact that if you made another choice, you could have gotten a car accident and got killed. I mean, there's no way to know what would have happened. But at the same time, it may have been the worst thing that could ever happen. So maybe what mm-hmm. happened was actually the best case scenario. But anyway, I just, I don't know why, but it, that when I, when I heard that quote by him, I had to share it because it just really spoke to me about that idea that sometimes we think the grass is greener, but maybe it wasn't greener. You'll never know what that other term would have presented itself, but it could have been certainly much worse. Yeah, the, this is a very, I actually really like this topic, right? And things may contradict it where um, it feels like everything was meant to be even those times when you're procrastinating because you were so how creativity is almost created. Like even with the, the creative geniuses in the world, they're massive. They were massive. Cons- they still are massive consumers in their field. So for me, it's kind of like I've manifesting by even the stuff I'm procrastinating. I think it gets to a point where you have to put in the work and whatever you're doing for it to work. But at the same time, if you're, I think you need to embrace the uncertainty too. So I think that's important in entrepreneurship. That's also important in in life because if you don't, if you look at it from a hedonist point of view, which is pleasure of I'm excited to see what's going to happen from this. It's actually really exciting 
And when you can't, when you go on with good intentions with no attachments, Oh my God, it is the best thing ever. But if you're going in by going, Oh my God, what's the, like, and you just think worst case scenario of what's going to happen to you, then that's, that's going to cause anxiety, my friend. So yeah, I think that it all ties in with one another, but I think just having this positive mindset around that and it helps being around awesome people too, that have also not only done amazing things, but can see something in, in you that maybe was part of them where they're like, Hey, I want to help guide you. And they, they somehow end up becoming mentors. Absolutely. And so, you know, Tov, as we start winding down, I mentioned, and I promised that I was going to just mention quickly the adventures and I had a question around that. And then Mm -hmm. I just have two remaining questions and then uh, we'll let you run and keep making more magic happen for more people. But, (laughs) man. and and, you know what, and I I said it, uh, I think earlier, but in case I didn't so much respect for all the stuff you've done for so many charities and, and the, the work that you're doing to help others. And so kind of full circle back to your ventures. I mean, I, I kind of just recommend somebody go to your website and just sort of read through them. I mean, I couldn't read through them all on the air. We'd be here for like, if, and I'm talking, including the, your more crazy adventures. If I added that plus your, your regular crazy adventures, uh, we'd be here for a half hour just reading them. But just to give people a perspective, these are some of the ones that I was, I took a peek at on your website, but raised 28,000 for over 10 charities. Uh, Australian uh, QLD, Ari, you'll have to tell me what that is in a second, of the year nominee 2017, ran 40 endurance events in one year to raise awareness and money for cancer research, 60 kilometer ultra marathon on Mount Everest for cystic fibrosis, uh, 12 and 24 hour treadmill challenges, 100 kilometer uh, run for blind and amputee and I could go on and on like I said there's just a almost like an un, you know an endless list uh, so Tof you know when you when you look at you know the type of things that you've done in these adventures for most people they would say I can't even imagine doing one of those let, let alone all of those what do you think it is in you and I and I say this in the sense of what could somebody maybe learn from what you learned about starting to tackle these things maybe if you look at the first couple how hard they were what could somebody learn from you to bring that into your life maybe they don't want to run a marathon but maybe they want to step outside their comfort zone more you know it could be small to them but it could be big to them but a small step for most people what would you normally say to them as the things that you notice that help you get across I guess we say literal and figurative finish lines yeah, that's a, that's an amazing question. Um, I'm glad you brought this up. So, for something I'm a big believer in, if if there was one daily habit I make sure I do, it's putting myself through some sort of discomfort every day, and it's it's not coming from a masochistic way. The reason my my reasoning behind this is a lot of the first world countries where we have like Canada, America, Australia, the UK, right? We we have everything so easily accessible. There's a reason why it's a first world country. First world country comes with first world problems too. And we're not, when I say we, I say as a collective, um, that we have a such high depression, anxiety, like even suicide rates. And it, like Bourdain killed himself the other day. You have Avicii, you have Chester from Lincoln Park. And some, it ends up becoming where we've, we're focusing almost on the wrong things, right? And like any developing countries have almost they know what it's like to have nothing so they i've been to brazil man where you're in the slums and you've got guys with like missing arms and legs and asking you to come into the house and they've got nothing and they just they just want to give and for me it's kind of like all right i need to get to that point where not, not like i'm missing an arm and a leg but for me it was that giving aspect 
but it was also like embracing that suck. Like as, as I think what Navy SEALs call it, embracing the suck so that whenever I do come across actual adversity, that it's no longer a chore. It's something I'm going to embrace because I know it's going to make me stronger as a person and it's going to make me grateful for it too. So that, yeah, so that it's habitual now. And going back to what you're saying before, uh, we all have different fears in that. So for me, a cool activity, if anyone's listening and they want to, what can I do today? Maybe I don't want to run a marathon. For me, running was just something that I could just time with health. Um, but list that, that we all have different fears. List your 10 biggest fear, fears. Anyone listening, list your 10 biggest fears. Do the easiest one on the list. Start with that first. It could be number eight right now. And you're looking at it like, oh, I can do that one right now. Do that one. And just start, it, it could like for an introvert, it could be asking a stranger out to dinner and it could be like whether you're heterosexual or gay, what doesn't matter. It could be something as simple as that to get over that fear of, of socializing. For me, one of them was running on ultra marathon on Mount Everest. I've done that one. All right. What's next on the list that I can knock off. Right. So that's a very strong way. What, what that does too, that helps you. Not only does that help you seek discomfort, but it's also going to, help build your confidence. It's going to also help build your self-esteem and it's also going to show you what you're capable of and you get curious with it. Now it gets to a point where you actually look forward to that. How far can I push this? That's why I do these stupid, crazy events because I'm at a point where I go, Hmm, let's see how far I can push myself. But if I can use this to inspire people and if there's a point where we can make it a charity element, then that's like a beautiful trifecta there. So someone you, and you can you can apply this 10, 10 fear thing to your personal life as well as your professional life too. For me, professional, it could be like, I want to get that one client or it's like, I want to speak at Google. <laughs> Who knows? It could be that. That could be like the big one. Um, so it could be, I think that's a very powerful tool that you can use because we all have different lifestyles and we all have different thoughts. So this is something that people are going to have to really think, all right, what are my top, fit, my top 10 fears? And what's the one I can do today that isn't going to like riddle me with fear and yeah, and then work up the list. So love that you mentioned that Tofen. And this is again, another maybe serendipitous moment, but uh, whenever I talk about expanding comfort zones, and in fact, just to sort of validate this or back this up that when I mm -hmm. say it's not just me, Oh, I want to add in to what he said. Uh, you can actually go and check out my, one of my TEDx talks called crushing your fears and expanding your comfort zones. And you'll actually hear me take people through a similar exercise uh, mm -hmm. difference because I focus so like in that I focus on how to get outside your comfort zone. But I, but the second part is I talk about your circle of comfort and that you should list the things that are, that you want to do that are outside and which side are, which ones are inside it. So, you know, to your point about the um, thing that's a little easier to do. So, you know, I'll talk in my list. I say you build your list from this circle of influence or circle of comfort, but uh, the one that's the closest to the comfort zone, but it's not fully inside would be the same as you saying, take the, the lowest one on the list, you know, the one yes. that to do. And so I tell people to do that because going to your point, that's what helps you then grow your comfort zone ever so slightly. And each yes. time you do that, it grows it again further. And the next thing you know, you're like me, where I'm jumping out of a plane or I'm, I'm speaking on a stand-up stage, stand-up, sorry, both. I'm speaking on a, a stage or I'm performing stand-up. Two, the two things that my friends when I was a kid would have said I could never do, and which surprises people, you know, that's how far you can go with your comfort zone is that what made me think of this, you know, and, and my list, you, you kind of put it in my head, what was my list when I originally started? And this is the part that maybe blows people mind, people's minds, but you mentioned mm -hmm. 
introvert who could be asking somebody out on a date. I'll tell you how much even more basic mine was. My very first one when I built my list, and this was, I didn't realize that's what I was doing. I just kind of wrote down, here's the things I want to try to do this year. It was more just a goal list. I didn't realize it was a comfort zone list, which it was. And um, what's interesting is the one I had on my list, one of the first ones was ordering a pizza. And really makes no sense, I'm sure, to anybody listening. But I, and I don't know how big of a fear it was or how it was just like maybe an uncomfort with um, talking to somebody I didn't know. But I had a hard time. Like I would actually say to my mother, we were going to get a pizza, let's say, and I was living home at the time. I would say, why don't you call? And my mother loved talking to everybody. So she'd pick up the phone and call. And it gave me an out, of course, as well. But even just doing something like that, and I'm talking, you know, before I was maybe 18, but just doing something like that for me was like asking somebody out on a date. Like it was outside yes. of my comfort zone. And so what I'm getting at is it could be something that simple. And for somebody else, it, you know, it's, it's nothing. But to some people, it's like eating a spider. <laughs> you know, so it's like reaching yeah, comfort zone areas. But yeah, that's what I, I realized later on is that if I could strike things off, like ordering a pizza, the next one would be um, being in a room with somebody who was maybe a business leader when I wasn't and being comfortable just talking with them without being covered in sweat you know, and I built my way up. So I love what you said there. Cause I think there's so much people can learn from that in terms of make that list, start from the easier ones on the list, take those easy steps, but actually take action on the ones you could do now. And I think if you take that action, you'll be mm-hmm. more in time with what can happen. Yeah. Dude. Can I, can I relay this back to a story? Cause I think you'd appreciate this. So, but first of all, if anyone's going, I don't know, I've got so many more than 10, just the first 10 that you can think of. Right. And just focus like, once you hit 10, then maybe do the next 10. But um, one of the events in, in that behemoth list of 60 endurance events was a, was like an 80 K paddleboard for youth adversity. So on a standard paddleboard for 80 kilometers. And I remember I spoke at my high school and I was saying, I'm doing this for you guys. And that caught some eyes because I was trying to say, now it's not only for the high school kids of today and the teenagers and, and college students, but it's for anyone that's actually was a, it was a kid back in the day. So anyone that's gone through any sort of adversity, it could have been there was sexually abused that no one knows about. It could be um, final exams. It could be going through puberty. It could be a parent's divorce, whatever it is. It's teaching these kids to how to have adverse, like, we need adversity. And you know what? That teaches you about grit. And grit's a good proponent with resilience. They come hand in hand. And then embracing that is going to really strengthen your mental health. And so where, where you stand up for these kids, literally standing up at the same time. So that's, that's where this corny uh, synergy comes into place. Anyway, I remember driving to training. So the, the, um, the, the board sponsors are going come train with us. I've got three weeks to train for this damn thing. Right. And the most I've ever been on a paddleboard was 10 K. So now I've got a times this by eight. I'm driving to training at five in the morning on a Monday and everything's fine. And then things are just manifesting in my head and I'm going, what are they going to think of me? Now the people I'm training with are some of Australia's best paddleboarders. They go to Japan and win championships. They go to America and win championships. I've got to train with these people. So I'm, I've only been on a paddleboard four times this was going to be my fifth time. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking, what are they going to think of me? And I'm ready to turn the car on the highway because I'm freaking out. But this is what, and if anyone's listening and they're like, I don't know what's like, I want to do this. This is all you have to simulate it with. What's the worst that can happen. It's a six worded sentence that makes you think in perspective, worst case scenario of what's not going to happen to you. 
my first thoughts were, I don't have to go to war today. I don't have to get surgery. I only have to stick this out for an hour. And why am I comparing? They, they're doing championship races. I'm here for a charity event. Anyway, I thought at the end of the day, man, after that one hour, after doing something I thought was super scary, wasn't even that bad. I had biz dev meetings afterwards where I had, where back in the day having meetings with like very powerful businessmen was the scariest thing. Now it's like, that wasn't even that bad compared to being on there. Now it's that what's the worst can happen can really help, uh, kind of remember where you at and keep you grounded. And yeah, that's a very powerful tool. So that's something I learned a lot from being in there. I, you know, I love that. And, you know, I, I have to, you know, I'll say one more thing before I ask those last two questions. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> in these interviews, as, as our listeners know, you know, our listeners of our show, especially, but I think listeners in general shows know, uh, sometimes you have this synergy in a conversation and you just, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to basically cut it short. Uh, so one other thing I'll add too is um, something I heard. It was a quote. I don't, I don't, it's funny. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I never used to watch any reality shows at all. And, Lately, um, I found that um, America's Got Talent, for whatever reason, has pulled me into their little grip, uh, you know, maybe like a guilty pleasure. And I think it's because of the moments they have of these, um, you know, these stories they share that it's kind yep. of the, we'll say the American dream since it's sort of an American-based show, but just that, you know, that dream or um, to somebody that's doing all these things that you can't imagine doing yet, they're still out there plugging away. And anyway, so there was this guy on the other day, and he's a pediatric nurse, and he's adopted five kids, and he had, he had his, his daughter naturally. They were told his wife wasn't going to make it. She did make it, and so did his daughter. So they said, you know, if any kids you have, it's going to be the same thing. So they ultimately decided to start adopting. And so okay. he adopted six kids. So everybody sort of fell in love with him because he's, you know, he's a nurse, and he's doing all this good work. And then at the same time, he's taking in six kids and trying to run this household. But anyway, one thing he said before he started singing, and he got that golden buzzer that they give you on that show to send him right through. But the one thing he said, which stuck with me, and this is what I mean, is these moments, like who would think on American Idol, they would reveal this moment that a quote that you like, I, I would share this quote with anybody who wants to listen, is basically what he said was he said, something I discovered with these with the children that we've adopted that were in the harshest of circumstances is when you're just surviving you can't dream mm. i don't know why that hit me so hard but just the idea that if all you're thinking about is just surviving it's hard to have a dream oh that's said, powerful and he said so we brought these kids in and he said the, the you know the thing i'm most proud of now is we have a roof over their head so that they can feel free to dream oh i love that man Anyway, I got goosebumps again. And then, you know, just from saying, yeah, I do too, dude, I do too. <laughs> and then what, how he finished it is he said, so now I'm going to sing this particular song. Cause I want to show my kids that it's okay for you to follow your dreams. So it's kind of like, it was almost like perfectly timed and everything. It was like, almost like they wrote it as a script. It was that well done. But anyway, I digress. Uh, so, you know, when you were saying that though, about earlier about, you know, people in, you know, that are in a circumstance that we couldn't imagine. And yet they're still welcoming you into their house and saying, how can I help and trying to give, you know, I think, like I said, it goes back to that quote, whatever you're looking for, be enough without it first, because there's people right now that are just barely surviving and they can't have the dreams that we're lucky enough to have. Yep. So Toph, I promised I had two final questions just as we, we wind things to a close. Uh, first one is about this whole idea of purpose or passion. And, and you talked about this a little bit. So my question out of that is, 
Do you yep. think it's important for a person to find their calling or their purpose or their why, whatever term you want to put on it? And if so, why do you think it is? I think it's almost imperative, man, because it, it, it gives you, it gives you almost guidance. Like it gives you like this internal roadmap. We all have different purposes because we're all made differently. We all look differently. We all think differently. Even, even identical twins aren't entirely the same. And for me, it's, it's whatever intrinsic, right? It could be, there's so many ways we all are different, but for me, it's kind of like, what do I want to be remembered for? Um, like when I'm, when I'm in the ground, what are people going to like, how did I inspire and impact people? Or some people might not want that. And they're like, what do I want to do before I die? At least you can go off something like that. And like, it's, it's like that. If you do want to go off the legacy thing, like a cool little trick is to go literally write out your eulogy, what you want people to think like hypothetically you're dead. It's that one scene where your spirit is looking from a bird's eye view and you're at your own funeral. And like people are leaving what they need to do to, to see you for the last time. And whoever has the honor of speaking eulogy, what the hell is it going to say? Obviously it's going to be much different to what you want it to say, but at least it gives you a roadmap and then you just work backwards. And I think reverse engineering it is a very counterintuitive way. At least now you can put like a, like an address into the car for the GPS, as opposed to just driving for the sake of it. And it doesn't matter if you actually get there or not. At least you've got, it's going to help you get out of bed. That's the other thing with purpose. It's going to help you get out of bed. And what I found is true purpose is when you can serve for someone else, you can have a business and it's, if it's impacting people, you are serving for someone else. So it's, it's literally helping humanity somehow. I think that's a very strong purpose. Love it. And so Toph, the very final question uh, and, and this is the final official question. The last, of course, question is going to be how we can connect with you and learn more. But uh, our last kind of, I'm going to call it, um, let's say, official question, if you will, is for you, how do you define success? That's a very good question. Now, we all have different types of successes. Um, I think going off what I've for me, it's, it's having that comeback every time, right? That, that's what, like, I think what greatness is as well. It's like, it's rising above no matter how bad the situation is. So like, it's like in sport, um, the ability when a team is down by a lot of points and it's like fourth quarter and people walking out of the stadium because they've lost hope and they end up coming back to win. I think that's, that's the success. Like there's always going to be a lows and it's, anyone can deal with a happy moment, man. Like we can, cause it, you, it makes you feel good, but it's how the, the true character in you is how you deal with the, how you react to it and how you deal with it. So I think a successful person, it's, you know what? Mother Teresa wasn't successful with money. She knew how to raise capital. <laughs> she was awesome with that, but she's done like an amazing impact for me. It's, it really does come back to how well you carry yourself as a person, but, and how, how well you're, you're impacting impacting the world to be better human beings i feel that that's what success is and however your medium is it could be running a very profitable business that can be helping people it could be doing charity work it doesn't really matter what the medium is you got to find what works for you powerful stuff Tope. and so the, the final question i already kind of gave you a hint is basically just going to be if somebody was saying to you right now hey you know they ran into you somewhere and said hey i, I want to 
connect with you after this uh, or, you know, somebody's listening now and they're saying, you know, I'd like to learn more about all these, these things you've done, you know, to help with other causes and stuff. Maybe they want to get into that or they want to mm-hmm. learn about running marathons or they want to grab your book, whatever that might be. Uh, where's sort of the hub or where would you normally direct them to learn more? The hub would definitely be my website. So it's TOF, T-O-F-E hyphen evans.com um i say the website just because if anyone wants to get in touch with me via social media all my handles are on there so if anyone wants to get in touch with me through linkedin or instagram or facebook or twitter or youtube whatever that's going to be the hub plus it's got like um if anyone wants to hire me to be a speaker for them or if anyone wants to grab the copy of the book it's got the links directly to it but um and also people can reach out to me too like um don't be afraid to if you want to say hi or if you've got a, if you want someone, if you need someone to talk to, I'm happy to talk to people. So, um, and get to know them as well. So my website's probably the, the way to go. Love it. So Tof Evans, this has been an absolute pleasure. You know, I have to thank you from the bottom of my hair for giving us so much time today. Uh, I mentioned no, likewise, man. Oh, awesome. Well, I, I mentioned off the top, I didn't expect, uh, I figured it'd probably be a half hour. And I think this is a, I guess a compliment to you and a credit to the work that you're doing that, uh, that I find it hard, you know, find it hard at the end of an hour closing it off. So love it. And, and that rarely happens. So, I mean, obviously there's some sort of synergy there as well. So Tof, this has been an absolute pleasure. So I thank you so much for especially having patience with me and continuing on with the interview, even after I thought we'd be done. Uh, and thank you for uh, helping to inspire so many people and all the great work that you're doing. Man, and thank you for everything you're doing too. It's uh, it goes. It's a two-way street, bro. It's <laughs> you're also doing amazing things as well. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.